coming up on this episode of the Delta Huddle podcast. Yeah, that's where I feel like I, I know that AI can do a lot of prediction. Um, mm. It can. Um, it's not wrong. But can I get 300 screenwriters? Can I get their brains into AI so that I can spit out the same answer that I would get with a decent customer validation program? I think not. As mm -hmm. much as I'm a big believer in AI, I think we're not going to get that kind of feedback from it. And I can't feed that in. That will not go away. Maybe I'll be able to write my posts faster with AI, yeah. but I, I think this is the part where it doesn't necessarily give us uh, any, yeah. it doesn't shortcut that relationship in any way. Hello, and welcome to the Delta Huddle podcast by Center Code. I'm Stefan Stenrus. Today's guest is Pete D'Alessandro, Director of Digital Products at Cast and Crew. Now, Pete has been a product manager in the entertainment industry for almost a decade, specializing in high-impact productivity tools. At Final Draft, the world's leading screenwriting software, Pete led a beta testing and customer validation team through Final Draft 10 and 11. Now, Pete was an amazing guest to have on the podcast. Not only was he able to share the challenges and the rewards of testing with such a creative audience, but he was also able to share his insight on AI, building testing communities, and even asked us some questions on how to keep a testing community secure and making sure that you build a community of testers that are able to go the distance and really benefit your products the entire way through. This was an amazing episode to record. I really, really enjoyed having Pete on, and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation with him as well. Without further ado, here is Pete D'Alessandro. So Pete, thank you so much for joining us on the Delta Huddle podcast today. It's great having you here. Uh, wanted to start off, uh, can you just tell us a little about you, what you do at Cast and Crew, and um, kind of what's going on right now? Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. So first things first, I am a Cast and Crew. I've been with this company, depending on how you slice it, about 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on current position, current products for about four years. I'm the director of some of our products here um, on our feature and television side. I've got four products. Um, I coordinate with a lot of others as well. Um, but I came from Final Draft uh, before that. The other six years I've been a cast and crew, they were acquired um, and eventually got poached and kind of came over to the other set of products that, that we have at this company. So Final Draft, I was there um, doing product management for about five years. Um, and that was where I really got into beta testing, which I think will be the interesting topic of the day, um, mm. and center code, especially and customer validation and all things that go with it. But I think for, for me, final draft was this learning ground of where I learned about product, where I really learned about, um, you know, more formal way to look at user experience and, and customer experience in general, uh, and how that all sort of shook out, got me to the place I am, uh, where that is mostly where my mind lives is in the customer validation part. Gotcha. Yeah. And for everyone in the audience who doesn't know, can you talk more about Final Draft and kind yes. of how ubiquitous that is? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about those. So Final Draft mm -hmm. itself is a screenwriting software used by uh, Hollywood everywhere, uh, and it is hugely dominant in the market. I don't know how much uh, anymore, but I know it is hugely, hugely dominant. It's not fair to call it the gorilla in the room. It's it's much larger than that. Mm -hmm. um, however you say that, 800-pound gorilla. Yeah. Um, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So it's bigger it's, than that one. <laughs> yes. It's bigger than the 800 pound gorilla. It's at least 801, 802. Um, there we go. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, so it's really ubiquitous, completely saturated in, in Hollywood in general. So 
Um, it's also desktop software, which is a little interesting. There's not a lot of that left in the world. Um, they don't have an, an online web editor at this point. Um, and an iPhone app, uh, iPhone and iPad app, but no Droid. So there's there's a lot yeah. of strange little limitations on it that probably don't exist in a lot of other tech companies, but just at least when I was there, certainly was would have been nice, but wasn't needed. Uh, so a unique product experience on that sense, but cross-platform desktop software. Um, and then as I moved over to Cast and Crew, Cast and Crew is an entertainment payroll company. So I'm still in the entertainment space in Hollywood. Um, it's a very, very different, uh, very different type of work and different types of users. And I don't talk to the creative so much, but I work on the payroll apps. Um, mm-hmm. And that includes like time card app and um, onboarding and start paperwork for people. Entertainment in general is very unique in the way that that sort of paperwork works. Uh, you can't just go to ADP and have people fill out their time cards. That does not cover uh, the amount of variables that are involved in entertainment payroll. So it's a unique sort of niche for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that more web, web-based too? Like, yes. Like yes. Most all is web-based. It's all really, I would say it's all B2B with a strong B2C element to it. And here's why I say that. The B2B aspect is sure, we you know, sell the services of payroll to uh, major clients, the studios, the producers, independent producers, you know, uh, all the way through. Uh, I think part of the company really does even a lot of uh, high budget student stuff. Um, so depending on how big, how small, um, pretty cool. But the interesting part of that is the entertainment industry is not really based in, as like you don't get a job as a makeup person for Disney. That doesn't work that way. So you don't have a consistent job. You'd have a job where you work on one show for a season or work on one movie. Um, and maybe you come back that next season. Maybe you, you come back and work on some other Disney project, but you might the next day be working for Netflix or some other, some other studio entirely. So the nature is very much freelance people. So these people are not people that you're going to sit with your HR department and have them go through training on how to fill out something that does not happen. They show up on set at 6 a.m. Someone generally in, in the legacy world would stick some pieces of paper under their nose to fill out. They would complain about having to fill it out because they got to write their name 17 times over and over again. Uh, they don't want to do that. And no one likes that. So digitizing a lot of that. Uh, but ultimately, people don't have any more time than that 6 a.m. to 6.03 window to fill out anything. They don't have time to learn or train. So there is this very big B2C um, perspective we take on it to make sure that that employee user who has very little to do with the studio that's actually hiring them, uh, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and how they how they interact with the world we provide. Very interesting. So very, very diverse kind of uh, customer base there. And it seems like a lot of challenges, right? Like when you're trying to develop this and put the product together, there must be thousand different variables that you guys have to account for just to make it like run smoothly that's an interesting number because i know you're being hyperbolic with a thousand i'm like uh it it could be maybe a little higher yeah Yeah. uh it could be a thousand um yes there are and user personas is a key critical word for us Mm -hmm. all the time so we have to keep you know kind of going back to that uh one persona who is managing most of the payroll and this app is really looking for this requirement because they want people to do this before they even inherit any of the paperwork or inherit any of the data downstream. But the mm-hmm. other persona they're relying on doesn't know what the heck that is. So you can't just throw that on them and make them do it. Um, so there's a lot of those conflicting requirements just between the personas themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, I got I to gotta ask it in relationship to screenwriting and whatnot. 
are your personas very similar to characters that you would see um, in movies or in TV shows? Like, is there a connection? We get a little creative in the in the way we we build out the personas for sure. Um, but when we yeah we haven't based them on anyone in in the industry. Maybe we just haven't wanted to take favoritism over our favorite shows and you know throw any of that on there and our own bias. But uh, yeah, maybe I should start doing that with the retired shows, the ones that aren't on anymore. There I imagine that yeah. your your personas are fairly in depth. Just having that kind of background, yes, right? Because yes, I've seen do. very shallow personas. You know, yes. these types of users. You know, Bob the Builder. I, I mean, you know, does construction, right? We, and we honestly, yeah, we honestly think of stuff like this person is. What does this person do for breakfast? Because some people on set, if you're talking about set, do they eat at four thirty before they leave the house? Probably not. Um, are they grabbing something on the way to work? It, like, is that how much time they are that they eat a sandwich in the car on the way to work? Are they on a bigger union shoot where they get breakfast on set at 6 a.m. and serve the hot breakfast? That, that, that all those things kind of matter. Um, you know, when you're on set, I, I do come from a background in production. I, I have a film degree, sadly. Um, <laughs> but what I uh, what I've learned, even if you look at it this way, if you were, uh, I, I did a lot of grip and lighting work, um, so you're there on set and. If you really think about it this way, if I'm holding my phone, light is shooting out of my phone. I'm in a probably largely dark set. Lights matter. Um, so mm. how much do you want to be on that phone in that small space where light is shooting out? You're, you're interrupting someone else potentially. So we think of things like that. Um, can't always take all the actions we want on that, but those go into the personas. Yeah, that's that's depth thinking of those specific use cases. And mm -hmm. um, so when you when you go through defining those use cases, those personas, are you, are you doing kind of research on that? Are you putting yourself in their shoes and thinking about it or, or maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, uh, there is some, definitely some research. Our company being so close to the entertainment space, we have a lot of you know, inside knowledge, uh, a lot of industry experience in any one room. Uh, on the product side, there are a few of us that have some experience. Um, mine is a little outdated, uh, but certainly many years of it. So yeah, we can add that up and and then add some research to that for sure. Yeah. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, so yeah, very dynamic environment, lots of moving parts there. Uh -huh. Um, getting back to to final draft a little bit. Uh -huh. Um, what was the impetus for actually kind of putting together a testing program for final draft? Were you there at the kind of you know start uh -huh. of that, or were you someone who came in and was like, okay, we have this beta testing program? Here you go, go run it. When I took on, as a little bit more of that, when I took on um, the role I took on with with the product manager as desktop software and, and everything else that was there, um, there had already been a beta testing forum. It's uh, platform is a strong word. I'm gonna say there was a forum, <laughs> user forum, to get yeah. into. It was completely uh, stale, out of date, as mothballed. We really weren't doing a good job with it. It was really hard to manage. Uh, it was yeah. impractical. So uh, my boss at the time, the head of product there, wanted to implement a you know a beta testing platform. Uh, to which I said no, because uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be added to this extra burden. Like I know who's going to manage this. How am I going to do that with the time I already have? Like, what are you you crazy? I need a new job on top of this. Um, and happily, it was completely wrong because uh, I, I actually loved it and it did free up time more than it took up time that was actually huge but mm -hmm. that all became you know critical to what we did at first i really didn't think we, we went in the center code we really weren't a lot of other choices i don't know if there are today but none of them occur to me that's for sure mm -hmm. um the center code because they had a lot there to provide with 
just the ease of use and the ease of distribution. One of the challenges for Final Draft and desktop software was, what's my license key? Like, I, I, yeah, how many times you got to answer that? And that was actually really easy to do in Center Code, and that made a huge difference. Um, I really loved the way I, I think people demonstrated that to me as like, here's what you could do with the FedEx tracking numbers. And I'm like, yeah, I want that for my numbers. Um, so that made things easy. It was like, what's your number one support call? Can you solve that before you start? Yes. Okay. That, that, that does actually make a difference in whether or not I want to do this experiment of beta testing. Um, so yeah, I, I was there at the beginning of this, if you count what the beginning of the successful part of beta data yeah. testing and, and customer validation was, um, and we went out small. Um, I think we had like 50 people at first that we reached out to and, um, you know, email has email lists for final draft are rather huge. Um, so we could you know, subset and, and start targeting a few people and get people to sign up. I think we got about 50 people at first, which was wonderful. Uh, and most of those people were pretty active users. And the whole time I was there, maybe, you know, four or five more years, they were almost all still active uh, and were people nice. I was still actively talking to once in a while uh, throughout that. So that worked out great. And we expanded. Uh, you know, I can't give exact numbers uh, mm-hmm. the time I left, but it was bigger. It wasn't gigantic, but it was bigger. It was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that distribution was lovely, not just the numbers, but when you're doing desktop software, you have to post to post a, a build somewhere, not just a link, um, which uh, has its disadvantages for sure. People have yeah. to download and install and all that. And there's Windows and there's Mac. And how come I can't install the Windows one on my Mac? <laughs> got some obvious choices there, but like people don't know that stuff. So, and, and you actually want some of the people who don't know the difference uh, on your mm-hmm. team. You really do. Um, so we actually split people into tiers for reasons like that, where we really wanted people who are so tech savvy, they know everything they're going to use, you know, power user of every single feature where other people who just, I just don't know what to do except get in here and type. And yeah. I want that to be, I want them to be on too. I want them to be represented in it. When that person can understand everything I'm rolling out, I know I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, but those early testers, the sort of alpha level, um, they were more useful early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you get to that Delta phase, uh, where you're about to roll out and you really want to know, does this work for everybody? Is this clear? Do I have to instruct the marketing team or, or tweak that YouTube video tutorial that we're going to put out? Does yeah. that need to accommodate something? Or did I accomplish this in the UI that I that I hoped I would? I remember the, the first time I think I, I met Pete, our CEO said, hey, you got to go meet Pete at Final Draft. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I look it up online. I'm like, like, what why why do right. i yeah. <laughs> got a lot of customers not to you know not yeah. think that pete's great but i'm like why what is uh what's so great about this and he's like like check it out look at it and i mm-hmm. look at him it just looks like a software for right what's not a big deal and then i think i met with pete and like one he's obviously great he's very funny he's got a, a nice comedic background he's a, a a good smart person um and then he told me about some of like the testers that were there and who his audience was. I'm like, oh man, yeah, that's freaking cool. So like yeah. when, when I talk to people about center code, it's like, oh yeah, you know, center code's cool. But then I talk about our customers like, oh, like, wow. And it's like, that's yeah. the feeling I got when I talked to Pete. I'm like, your customers, the people you're serving seems they're so much bigger than the the company that you're you're working for for the most part so that was you know eye-opening for me when i first met you like you're talking about high profile people giving you feedback on an early version of a product 
Yes. I uh, no, you're right. I mean, there were definitely uh, some A-list celebrities mixed in there uh, and some other people who were, you know, I don't think they're around anymore on that. But at the time, I, I found a couple of people who really wanted to talk. And I said, like, if you if you really want to do this, you can you can get in. Uh, those people don't tend to stay involved all that long, but it was really cool. And, and Final Draft in general, just, yeah, you do get people who uh, who make the big movies. I mean, those people are using Final Draft, so they are customers. Some subset of them are very eager to talk uh, and very eager to be a part of it. So it's really cool. Damn. Yeah. And that must be the big advantage. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was saying like having your, your voice, like you were yeah. talking, you know, A-list or, or big players, they want to, they want their feedback listened to and their, yeah. their stuff implemented. They want their ideas. That's a channel, right? Like this is the value. Okay. I got to put in some work to give you feedback, but I'm going to make something better for me i want to give you feedback to make it better for me and make it easier on, on myself yes, <laughs> yes. So yeah. a little friction but you know big payoff kind of yes cool thing. Uh, it was it was cool I, it, at one point i talked to you know i also used to run the final draft podcast uh, right on mm-hmm. so for many years i had that uh, i had one guest on a couple times uh stan Chervin, who i'll give a shout out to uh he's a great guy i uh, wrote moneyball among other things uh oh, and cool. wrote some really cool stuff but he even asked me on the podcast on the air at one point like this is the feature I really need you to make while I'm doing this podcast. Can you, can you just get that to happen? Uh, it's, it was really excited to, to have it done when we got it shipped, but uh, user feedback and listen to, you know, yeah, that's the dream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Chris, you pretty much just read my mind. That was the question I was going to ask is like, that just must be a huge boon as a product manager is that you have these people who are just super excited to just, be able to talk about the program with the people who make it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, and they may come at it from what might seem like an edge case, right? But they say like, oh, I just need this feature. And suddenly the team is like, oh man, like that would be an awesome feature. And you wouldn't know it unless you had that testing program in place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You really yeah, wouldn't know. know. You never get that feedback. And no two writers work the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody works the same way. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, that diversity of community that you talked about as well, where, you know, you had the people who were very, very technical and incredibly, you know, proficient in the, the platform. And then everyone else, or maybe not everybody else, but, you know, the smaller percentage of people who was like, I just use this for work. I just log in and type, you know, yeah. like you said, what is the difference between Windows and Mac and whatnot? Um, but not only that, but it's also just working with creatives, right? It must be pretty unique, right? I mean, typically when we talk to people on the podcast, it's, you know, I worked at Fitbit, so a lot of people were into fitness or, you know, mm. I work at uh, Mattel, so we're mainly designing toys. So it's a lot of consumer stuff. Yeah. Um, but working with that um, that primarily creative audience must be pretty pretty cool and unique. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. Um, it's also, you know, Final Draft is a really great, uh, I want to say just connection with the industry in a way that there are mm-hmm. many people who work at Final Draft who are writers or people who have sold movies and made movies and stuff you may have seen um, who work at Final Draft for years in between stuff and work at Final Draft just to have something steady so they can do their own independent thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people in the Writers Guild there. So there's a lot of experience like in-house, which makes it fantastic. Uh, and I think also for a long time, sort of got us a little cocky to say like well we know enough without testing as mm. much and testing obviously took us to a, a real new level customer validation took us to a new level of what usability would be and, and obviously dog fooding has its limitations yeah i mean that mm. that connection i i've actually was just writing about this in persona development and 
the influence that um, something like beta testing has on personas. Because when we create personas in, in product development, we typically do it early. Like we, we start right. off, we do some research, we, we kind of get this, you know, this archetype of a person and we, we build them out. And then when we get to the beta phase, it could be months and it, uh, after we've kind of developed the persona and defined them, but times have changed. Um, the product is changed. It's different. We're getting in front of them. So how they interact with the product and who they are during beta testing has an influence on, you know, improving that, that persona in a, in a, a more accurate way. Yeah. So we watch how they interact in beta and go, oh, wow, they're doing that on a regular basis. Because beta testing is not, you know, one hour of use. It's one hour every day or a couple hours every day over a period of time. And that just kind of pumps the pumps the data back into that persona, I, uh-huh. at least from my perspective, when I was writing that content. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, completely. I, I think that's a great insight. If that yeah. feed that it, it's don't get static. Just don't you get static. You can't you anymore. It, the industry changes so quick. Like right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing marketing right now at, at center code. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever that is in, in my mind right now. Uh-huh. Um, but, we have AI everywhere and it's like, oh man, I, I have to be on my, my toes. Like I am yes. ready at every moment to pivot, to change, to move in direction. Yes. I think a lot of products are, are like that. Like most companies need to be very nimble and having that connection with your audience is kind of crucial to remaining. Right. What does it mean flexible. to be nimble? Do you know? Yeah. So, you know, we were talking before we started about the current writer strike in Hollywood, but one of the, the big cruxes of the writer strike not taking sides here. I'm just stating the facts as much as I can. Um, the part of it was that the writers came to realize AI is a big deal. Uh, and we're going to need to be nimble enough to adjust to this. I don't know how final draft will adjust. And then please don't read into that, but writers really yeah. want to know is yeah, our, our employer is going to start using AI to replace us. Is that going to be a problem we have to face? So they put into their contract negotiations. Like we want to make sure AI is not going to replace guild members jobs. Uh, to which the studio said, we're not really going to talk about that. And that was, I think, one of the breaking points that caused the strike to happen hmm. where the writers uh, were like, if you're not going to negotiate on it, uh, I don't know what to do. But that's, I think, where we all are. Uh, so that's an example of staying connected to our audience where we we know what the writers are, are working on. Uh, we know what they're trying to do and what they're worried about. So, uh, you know, knowing that about our people certainly helps. Um, but yeah. the uh, the conversation about AI is alarming um just what's happened in the last you know three to six months uh i don't know how often you guys are using ChatGPT or any of the other major tools that are out there right i'd now. say about every day right me too at least oh, in, it's yeah it's completely integrated to my yeah. my workflow for, for you i have a very unique take i think ai and i don't know if it's unique actually take it for what it's worth i feel like ai enables a very smart person to do a lot more yes i don't yes, think the ai does anything by itself that's like oh yeah that's great the other day like i ask it to write something i'll I'll give it give me an outline for a blog help me write that blog and it writes it's like it's blah right right? it's right right but i wrote a blog and i asked it to help me enhance and you know use some more engaging words or you know a little bit more rewarding and it tweaks it it definitely goes a far other direction it turned me into like a freaking scholar uh for for no reason but that's not (laughs) what my reader is gonna read right so like it can help do things much quicker that you would have maybe given to someone at a lower resource, but it enables a, like a smart person to get a lot more done with it. 
I, so I do agree. I've, I've got data analysis and I know people in the data field are really worried about it too, mm-hmm. right? Because it's got access to Python and can do, you know, regression analysis and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, but it still needs to be told what to do. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it still needs a human and a human's still going to have to read it. So like yeah. a human is still there. Yes. All throughout. Yeah. Um, yes. I can't speak for writers on that. I mean, I write content on my own. Right. Right. But you <laughs> know how good it comes out. Like raw, how yeah. good does it come out? Not enough. Uh, not good enough. Nah. Yeah. Um, I, I would not post it live. No, no. Straight out no. of there. Or I, w- I might be laughed at. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was a story about three months ago that came out in the uh, science fiction world. Uh, not to do with Final Draft, but uh, there's a mm-hmm. podcast I love called Clark's World. Science fiction, mm-hmm. short stories they publish all the time. Been around a while. Uh, they had to close down submissions when ChatGPT came out because people were just oh, submitting wow. garbage. Um, yeah. Type in a premise and just submit. They had to shut down. They just couldn't handle the the garbage people are putting out with it. Now, you could yeah. take the thing you did a good job on and improve it with AI, um, yeah. but only some people are going to do that, and other people are just going to get out content. Yeah. yeah. It, take, it still takes a smart person to look at it and say, is this right? So like when I put things into it that's about beta testing, obviously I know that domain very well i can read and say nope that's that's wrong (laughs) that's that's definitely not right but if someone was just like typing and they wanted to start writing about beta testing and they throw it out there and they just kind of spew it out and it's you know misleading to the world actually um but people don't feel it right if if someone looking Mm -hmm. for like an answer to like man beta testing is it sucks right now i wish i could you know find a way to alleviate some of the stress or get through it maybe it's product management or launching a new product just because there's an answer there doesn't evoke emotion or it doesn't empower them to get over the hurdle. And I was just reading a book called, I think it's like eight secrets for like impactful writing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really, really, really cool. And he talks about like the, the, the brain triggers in writing and, and like ways, different writing styles that will trigger different emotions. And one of my favorite ones was the invoking motivation through writing. And I thought it was so cool because I felt it. I was reading on how to write content, uh, right? Uh, and in that content that's being served to me, I'm reading it. I'm like, man, oh, I want to write like that. I want to, I want to be like that. And it's, it's motivating me. I'm like, oh, I want to go write right now. I want to yeah. go write something based on this new knowledge. That's exciting. The the AI is not going to evoke emotion like that, and and that's why I think humans are still needed for, for at least yeah. as it pertains to me. It, I it, I can't rely on it solely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm in the same place. Um, we got talking about this because we were talking about being nimble with the industry and yeah. talking about writers as the example <laughs> of, of good good timing on that contract renegotiation for them. Um, but, you yeah. know, what does the client need? Uh, what does the potential customer need? What do they have? Do they know what they need? Um, and I don't think you can get to those answers without being really close to them, uh, developing a relationship, which a lot of times can be done with the customer validation. The people I've worked with the most, I almost always get through, uh, through that channel where we are working hand in hand eventually. And those become the subject matter experts we really rely on, uh, that we listen to, that we're getting news from, um, the stuff that's not published on, you know, an industry publication and and like what are the inside rumors that no one's kind of willing to put on the record um how do you get that stuff uh and you you know you get that by developing the relationship i think Mm -hmm. and that has helped us stay nimble that has helped me stay nimble in in both companies for sure yeah uh one question that i kind of thought of earlier as we were kind of talking about 
customers and relationships and how trends change. Do you, do you find that some of these kind of uh, insights are changing as kind of trends in the industry change? Like one year you'll get kind of a set of feedback based on, okay, this TV show came out and did this differently, or there's kind of this new idea in the industry that's going around. Is it very, to use the the word of the podcast so far, is that very nimble in terms of how insights are changing? Yeah. So for our company, uh, especially for cast and crew, there's always a need to keep up with cutting edge. Uh, very mm -hmm. much cutting edge as far as what is the user and you know, what are the clients trying to do and what are the customers trying to do. So um, there's also every, more or less every year, one uh, one or more guilds is renegotiating something. Um, mm -hmm. The last one was IATSE, which is almost all the, the sort of crafts people, they call it uh, IATSE being the, that guild that holds your electricians, your uh, makeup people, props, virtually everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and they renegotiated a contract. There was a lot of pushback on for, for many years about how much people were having to work sort of into the weekend, not meeting Saturday, but start Friday night at 6 p.m. And then you get out at, at you know, 7 or 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. You've kind of lost your Saturday at that yeah. point. And you're going to sleep through Saturday. So now you have a one-day weekend. People weren't real happy about that. So they were trying to change the ways in which the company would have to compensate you if you were working that, that way. So as soon as that contract comes out, like, well, we're obviously on the hook to pay to the contract, like, you know, that day. Um, and in this case, you know, it's really retroactive. The contract negotiations had gone on well past that sort of grace period. Um, so you have to do all that and you got to do all that quickly. People are owed their money. So, you know, you have to do that very much in a place where we have to be able to respond very quickly. It's just one example, maybe not even the best example of what you're talking about when we're talking about how people are trying to do something different that's never been done before and can we keep up and the answer is we must um, yeah. more than more than other places you know final draft being desktop software when i was there it was about a two-year release cycle that went a little longer because of covid in the last release um but it's about a two-year release cycle so if someone's asking for a really hot new feature you'll be waiting about two years um you know that's uh that's less fun um i think yeah. they they do a much better job than they than I did when I was there about getting things out faster and, and sort of shortening that in, in small updates and stuff. But with cast and crew, we have to be on top of it in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know agile is a term that gets thrown around a ton and some people use it in a way that's sort of just decorative, right? And yeah, other people are yeah. truly committed to it. It sounds like you guys are like, we have to be agile. We don't have a choice. It's, we don't, we don't it's have a, a choice. Must. Yes, it yeah, is absolutely yeah. true. Um, there's other examples where we have to keep up, but that's probably less to do with customer validation, but things like a tax law changing, it's like, no choice, like pivot guys. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's no choice, so. Yeah, same thing with, with privacy on our side, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Someone, there's a new privacy uh, policy or private or personal data. You're, nope, right now, here we go. <laughs> yep, drop everything. Yeah, Let's make this happen. Have it out. Yep, that's exactly how we have to handle it too. Yep. That's yeah. again, it's a little less so customer validation and, you know, interacting, but we're doing it for the users. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you do it for the users and, and yeah, I mean, you, you keep them in mind, like it's going to be important to them, even if they, you know, this is one of those great examples of taking what people want and giving them what they need, uh, because mm -hmm. they may not know they need that, but they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, I, I also kind of enjoyed that bit that we had on AI as well. Because for me, I feel like I was I was very skeptical of AI because in my opinion, so. yeah, I was I was worried about it, you know, like, oh, it's gonna replace X amount of jobs, et cetera. But when I really dove deep into it, for me it was really great as a starting point. Yeah. Like I could throw 
you know, 12 different ideas at chat GPT or something else and uh-huh. have it spit out, you know, a different idea or a different way of looking at things. Right. And for me, I think that's what the really nice part of AI is, is that it's not really, you know, bound to a certain kind of viewpoint, right? Yeah. You can feed it something and it'll say, okay, here's your prompt. And then you can say, well, can you give that to me? But maybe a little friendly or maybe a little bit more professional. So it doesn't run into maybe the same constraints as, um, you know, bouncing ideas off of somebody else. But like you said, you always need that human element in there in order to push it forward. And, you know, I think the human element will stay there no matter what. Um, right. You know, here at Center Code, we have a lot of internal conversations about how can we make AI integrate better into Center Code. And we've got like two Slack yeah. channels where it's just purely people going in and saying, why don't we have this feature? Why don't we have AI act in this way, you know, so that we can, you know, pull these reports faster or, you know, make sure that we're in compliance easier. So I think that's the bit that's really interesting is like, how can we make these two things fuse together? And it all comes back to like, we need to get that user input in there because otherwise it's Uh just going to go, it it may go haywire. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I feel like I I know that AI can do a lot of prediction. Um, Mm -hmm. It can, Um, it's not wrong, but can I get 300 screenwriters can I get their brains into AI so that I can spit out the same answer that I would get with a decent customer validation program? I think not. As mm-hmm. much as I'm a big believer in AI, I think we're not going to get that kind of feedback from it, and I can't feed that in. That will not go away. Maybe I'll be able to write my posts faster with AI, yeah. but I, I think this is the part where it doesn't necessarily give us uh, any... Yeah. It doesn't shortcut that relationship in any way. Can't get rid of the relationship. It it won't provide the data. It could do things like debug some code, but like yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't have the <laughs> right. unique environments or their perspective or anything like that. Right. It can amalgamate the feedback wonderfully. It can do analysis on feedback wonderfully and the data that I get back. Wonderful yeah. job it can do there. But if I don't get the data, I got nothing. If I don't get the people, I have no information. Yeah. One one cool thing, I, and this I don't I feel like it's less controversial, which is kind of cool, is I, I've been using GPT to do a couple things, um, and I feel like it's teaching me. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm able to look at something like my first prompt and the second prompt, and look at the outputs and say what's different. So like I say, hey, make it more engaging and more rewarding for the reader. Yeah. I say give it a conversational tone, and I look at I'm like, oh, what's the difference between these two things? Like the other day I was, yeah. I was asking it to do some, um, I have access to the uh, code interpreter inside uh, GPT, which allows uploads and downloads. So I'd give it a set of uh, data and I'd ask it to write me, you know, a Python script for pulling this from, you know, uh, an API for, you know, Twitter or Reddit or whatever. And in my past, I didn't really have a lot of understanding of that stuff, but it was able to help me understand it, right? And walk me through it and help me build it. And I don't need to ask for that again so it actually taught me something that is making it so now i'm not using it for that those prompts so now i understand the how to get uh the api access to and use python to to grab some data from these different um sites yeah i don't feel reliant on it and in the writing it's helping me understand and enhance and i and i'm actually using it a little bit less than i was uh, at the start because i feel like i'm actually getting smarter so i'm that that's maybe just my my perspective but i i I feel like it's part teaching me how to not use it if i yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i I, I do think i i get that 100 like it is making me a little smarter i think the other thing I've, i've really enjoyed about the realization of this in the last six months has been that 
the last two and a half decades have been dominated by one tool that I wasn't really aware of in the way I thought I was, uh, and, and Google search. Um, yeah. and what I yeah. did with Google search and I, I Google things, Google is a verb, which is pretty incredible as a product. Um, did you try Googling it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. we've been saying that for a couple decades. Um, and what is Google search? It is a place that I generally go when I want information. I go there so that I can find an article to help me figure out the answer to the question I'm, I'm trying to ask. I don't actually want to go to a web page to help answer my question. That's not really what I, as a user, that's not the product mm. I'm really looking for. What I'm looking for is an answer to my question. Uh, I'm not looking for a web page to help me answer it. When I when I do a recipe, oh my God, is ChatGPT oh. better than it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh so you painful. Mean the 30 ads or the 30 the ads, 10 the, page scroll, the 10 so page ingredients. Scroll. Yeah. So, one of the other product managers at Cast and Crew, I was talking to her and she mentioned that she's so annoyed when she has a recipe um, that uh, she has a recipe <laughs> on her phone and she's trying to make something uh, in the kitchen. Uh, and there's a list of ingredients that uh, give you all the measurements and then you, you scroll down to the directions and then. Was it two cups of that flour or is a cup and a half? Scroll back up and then go find, now, where was I again? Okay. And she's like, man, that's so annoying. Why don't they just put the measurements in line? So I pump in a re recipe into ChatGPT and I said, I don't like the way this is formatted. Can you put the measurements into this so I don't have to scroll on my phone anymore? And it just did. And yeah. I'm like, ah, that's the thing I was there really, I wasn't looking for the recipe website. I wanted the recipe so I could make something. I actually didn't even want a recipe. I wanted to make something in my kitchen. Um, and yeah, what's the easiest thing I can do with that? Uh, and that's, you know, you get to the why behind the why behind the why, uh, as they say, what I really wanted to do was make something in my kitchen. Okay. Here's a website. Yeah. That's one way to solve it. But that's Even a, that is so disruptive though, because someone wrote that article Yeah, and they pumped in ads everywhere. Obviously that's how they, they're getting uh, paid yeah. based on writing, uh, yeah that stuff and that is google search and google io just released their new google bard and yes um how they're going to implement it into uh search and i've had a decent amount of sleepless nights over the last uh week saying what does that mean what yeah. do i what do i focus on what do i prioritize what's what's it go what's it going to prioritize how's it going to read these things right and that's I the Got to be nimble. I got to react and you, you must I don't be know. And <laughs> I, I hope they are asking people like that. Uh, I hope they are really doing some deep research to figure this out. I'm sure Google is. They're, they're absolutely better at that than almost anybody. Um, but really, we've all been thinking about SEO as sort of the, the holy grail without really realizing that we've been thinking about that for you know decades now uh, and how important that was. And that's why you have that 80-page scroll in a recipe because it's better yeah. SEO. Uh, is that going to matter when I just search for the actual recipe when exactly. i when i want an output of a recipe seo is meaningless at that point yeah mm -hmm. so what are you writing again like what are you posting is it are you going to be posting in the same way that you have been or is you know something that's a, a tweet uh, or an instagram post is that as long as it's ever going to get again yeah that's the the big quest that's the one that's looming yeah. in my mind right now yes uh i think that the cool thing and I'll, I'll bring it back to the 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 big topic that we've been kind of going through is we still need those relationships with people. So yeah. Yeah. no matter what Google or GPT is going to be serving our audience, we provide a product, we provide a service to our audience and, and knowing how we solve those problems is still key. How we market and get that to other people's hands and how we get in front of the right people is the, the big looming question. But 
you need a good product. You need to have, mm -hmm. you need to solve their problems. You still need to understand that they're um, dynamic and changing beings, right? They're humans that are, they're changing and we need to pivot and move our products uh, accordingly. Yeah, I think so. I think it is the relationships and it hits the who. Uh, people talk about the five whys. I'm actually, uh, I, I disregard that a little bit more because if you're not getting back past the whys to the who, you're not really thinking about the person behind it all. What are we doing? Uh, who are we yeah. serving? Who are we searching this for? Because the why only informs that. They're, they're so closely intertwined. I'll go back to screenwriting two more times here. But uh, one, there's a book called Save the Cat uh, written by a writer named um, Blake Snyder. Um, it's a brilliant book. It really is a great entryway to sort of learn screenwriting. It's not perfect and it's not how you would write, well, Moneyball I brought up. It wouldn't wouldn't work on Moneyball in my opinion. Um, but it's a really nice way to get a framework for writing. Um, one of the things he said, he has a, a genre, sort of subgenres laid out through how they work and screenwriting, breaking down how to, how to write these. But um, he did not call it a who done it. It's a why done it. Uh, mm, because okay. if I told you the butler did it, you're like, why? Yeah. Um, but it, it's the same for us. And that we actually, the, the why and the who are really closely intertwined. Uh, and I think one of the best product management uh, scenes in movie history is actually in Patch Adams, if you've ever seen it. Oh. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in 25 years, but there's a fantastic <laughs> yeah. scene in it um, where Robin Williams is at the beginning is in a mental institution and he meets um, uh, Arthur Mendelssohn. Am I saying that right? Um, he meets this other uh, person in there, um, happens to be a famous writer. But the kind of joke is that Mendelssohn walks up to him and says, you know, as he gets in and, and is being introduced to everybody, he says, how many fingers am I holding up? Uh, <laughs> and Robin Williams says four, obviously. Uh, and later on, they call that back. Why, why Mendelssohn gives us this the wrong answer. Another idiot. Uh, and later on, he says, you know, you have to really look past the fingers. And as you sort of switch focus to the person, you see eight fingers because the fingers are out of focus. Mm. By focusing on the problem, you have done the wrong thing. And if you focus on the person, you get your answers. Uh, and I always uh, really took that to heart for product management as the you focus on that problem, you're not doing the right thing. If you focus on the solution, you're still not doing the right thing. Those those aren't really the right places to start. The person is what matters. How do they feel? Uh, and again, back to what Chris said about relationships. Uh, yeah. That's it. Uh, that's it. If you don't know who that person is, you got nothing. I think we were talking yeah. about this on our, our last podcast, and I'm a, a product manager at heart, so this is still really <laughs> true to me. And I, I have to tell myself on a, ba a daily basis, this is true. And you kind of you brought it up. You have experience in 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 screenwriting. You have experience with this stuff. And at a, at a point, I'm sure you thought of yourself as the user, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I am yes. the user. I'm building the product. So what's, yes. what's interesting is sometimes we tend to build products and not think about the who because we think we're still that. We still hey, I, I still got my connection right to the the who. I am the I'm still the who. So I'll just worry yeah. about the solution and the why. Yes. I know, what, I know that, what we need. I know what we need. Don't worry. Exactly. Yeah, I got it. I, I, I do it to myself. Like I, uh -huh. I say, yeah, and I'm a beta testing expert. Yeah. I haven't ran a beta test in a, in a decent amount of time, right? Like it's <laughs> yeah. been for, uh, probably a year, right? Yeah. I, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I get to talk with people like on a weekly basis that do beta testing and I'm in there watching people and talking with people and, and discussing it. Uh, and I've been, you know, all around the, the country talking to organizations about beta testing, but I still got to knock that out, right? Like you're, you're not the, you're not the user. And the only way you're really going to build that, 
um, connection and give you that gut check is by having one of these programs where they're kind of co-creating, they're co-developing with you and you understand, yeah, that's, that's me. Pete, Pete's my user, right? I'm going to talk to, uh-huh. to Pete. He's going to give me the lowdown, right? right. I'm going to be right. able to talk to him because I understand it, but he's going to give me exactly what's going on. Yeah. And that's, uh, you're not the user. Talk with your, talk with your audience. Um, yeah. That's a, a, a good, I think, connection to the, you know, the, the who side of what you were talking about. You're yes. not the who right now. You, you just mm. might resemble them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 And for me at Cast and Crew, when I'm dealing with payroll apps, uh, I've never done production payroll. Uh, I'm not that user, so I don't get that luxury and I don't get that uh, bias and mistake either. So a bit of both, double-edged sword, but it does inform how we really have learned to go into things like user interviews, um, beta testing, customer validation for you know, something like a, a real deep B2B high-performance productivity tool like this uh, is actually extremely difficult. Um, I can't put something in front of a user that isn't really ready. I mean, this isn't a, a problem where they're screenwriting software gets a little couple glitches in it that's not the same thing this is you know there's an output people get paid based off the software that we have uh somebody's getting one yeah somebody's getting a check that pays their mortgage um so the beta testing is you know we we do it very very differently um so we have things that are you know they're always production ready but not everybody gets access to everything and we actually do a lot of our validation that way where we're looking at uh, who really needs this? How much should we talk to them and let them use it first? Um, and there's a lot of that that I think is absolutely critical. Um, you know, I think that's the same for a lot of other B2B companies that I've talked to. It just, you can't, you know, I don't think that's localized to my industry in the least. I think it's probably common practice, but uh, if there's somebody out there who's struggling with that, uh, better to do that than nothing, uh, which is sort of the alternative. Um, to do nothing, to do no validation and let everybody sort of have at it and see what happens. Um, you know, we've seen plenty of software do that over the years uh, and lots of companies fail drastically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of different examples of that. I think the one of my favorite examples comes to mind, this is also entertainment-based, but a lot of people know it, is Final Cut, uh, which people often confuse with Final Draft, not related. Um, <laughs> Just um, final, but yeah. yeah. Uh, one's cut, one's draft. Uh, final Cut, uh, years ago, had this release. It was probably about 2010. They released a new version of Final Cut X, and the users really, really hated it. Uh, the blowback, it's, it's a case study. People use it as a case study and how not to roll something out, but rolled out to a wide group without validation um, and obviously very inadequate feedback. I don't know what they did behind the scenes or, or didn't do, but clearly either did not get enough feedback or did not listen to the feedback they got, uh, did not get the right feedback, something, um, but rolled out something that was pretty disastrous as far as public opinion uh, and cost them a lot of business, really cost them a lot of business. There were two other major competitors and one of them was actually Adobe Premiere, which was a huge mm. spike in Premiere. And the sort of talk around town was yeah, I'm not going to go with Final Cut anymore. I'm actually going to try Premiere, if you can believe that. I'm going to try the Adobe Suite and see how that works. They do After Effects pretty well, so I'm going to give Premiere a shot. Uh, and they were in a perfect position to be there. Uh, luck meets uh, <laughs> luck meets pre- preparation. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a, it was a really good example. Of, uh, I think that's the story of TurboTax, too, if I'm correct. Really? Yeah. So What was um, that one? This one is about... Uh, it's the the difference between first to market and someone who's uh, slow to market but listen to the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I think when TurboTax first came into play, there was a lot of 
competition in the space. And what they did is they looked at all the softwares that were doing this personal, it was either TurboTax or um, I forgot the the personal tools, the QuickBooks. It was mm -hmm. one of those two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And right, right, right. There was a competitive space. And what they did is they looked at the competition and they say, what are they doing wrong? What do people hate about those things? And yeah. it's like, you know, give an inch, take a mile kind of thing. It just yeah. propelled them to the top position, finding mm. the little gap between the problems. Yeah. Wow. So if you don't have that constant update and iteration and you're not following them, someone's going to someone's gonna step in. Yeah. They're going to yeah. see that and they're going to say, I'm going to listen to them because right. I, w I want their money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. if you're not going to because you want to be, you know, mysterious or playful for some reason, uh, I think <laughs> Snap even did that. A couple of uh, years back, they they released a major update to their UI, and um, it, it went didn't go very well. And then the feedback was a resounding no, uh, and they came back and and they they adjusted it and and whatnot quickly. Uh, I think they they were able to adjust it, but just shows you not being mysterious and trying to go out the door without that that validation is it's it's a risk, it's a big yeah, risk. It is. It is. <laughs> Someone's going to step in if you if you leave the the opportunity open. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I used to hear I don't hear this much anymore, but I don't know if you guys are running into this um mm -hmm. where people do get afraid to sort of pull back the curtain a little bit and oh no, people might find out what we're going to ship you know, oh, yeah. a few months before we ship it. Yeah. And they get worried and they don't want to do that testing. They don't want to do that validation because they just don't want anyone to be able to leak anything. NDA, all you want. Someone mm -hmm. still, you know, three people can't keep a secret sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, it can leak and people get worried about that. How do you guys deal with that when that comes up? Because I'm curious. It is very dependent. There's, there's people that are releasing updates to features that it's like, you know, they, they're releasing this new feature. So it's not that risky. Right. Oh, and yeah. companies usually release the features that they're coming out with before they go to market. So if it leaks, it's not the, the biggest mm -hmm. concern. The ones mm -hmm. that are scarier, people are more um, hesitant to do are when someone's getting into a new market. Mm, so if a yes, software scarier. company is stepping into this hardware division, yeah. like, you know, I don't really want to let people know that I'm kind of venturing in this way. Right, um, right, and there there are a lot of best practices to to mitigate the leaks and 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 you know kind of tiptoe around the situation. The big ones are um, you want to kind of debrand your site. You want to give them a safe space, so you want to give users a safe space as an outlet. When people are um, experimenting with something new and exciting you got to give them the voice because their voice is going to go somewhere so you got to give them the voice back to you and let them know that we're listening we're active we care about what you're saying and we don't want you to say anything out here so we we, we do recruitment up front we let them know top secret we get the uh, non-disclosure agreements we remind them of the non-disclosure agreements we respond to feedback on a regular basis we make sure these people are vetted they provide things like socials and um their Twitter profiles and handles and all that stuff to make sure that we can kind of uh, monitor uh, and then just constant reminders and whatnot. Uh, they need the, the the praise and the thanks. That's a, a big way to kind of keep it down a little bit, uh -huh. like make sure they don't get antsy and want to go out the door. Yeah. Uh, but it's most of the time, I think based on our research, it tends to be a company that actually leaks the information instead of the the testers. It tends to be mm. internal, like it might be from their dog fooding program um, yeah. or someone that got a little antsy and maybe said something maybe not that intelligent for a second. Got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hard to yeah. Go back on. Let, the, let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. I remember a couple yeah. of years ago, it, 
more than a couple of years ago, probably a decade ago, someone had left like a beta hardware version of an iPhone in a cab or something like that. It was like the iPhone five. Yeah. And that's okay. how that I, leaked out to the right. That's right. I remember yeah. that. So that was like, oh, my God, it's like sometimes it's simply accidental, right? It's like, oh, God, I left the beta hardware in the cab. Um, One thing I think is another way to kind of make sure that it doesn't leak, right, is and this is kind of an endorsement for having a a beta program that spans years and possibly decades is you can build out that community and have that cohort of trusted testers. Right. So you can say like, you know, X, Y, Z testers, they've been testing with us for seven years and they're invested and they really feel like they're a part of the product development. So if you bring them into it's like, hey, we're entering a new market or, hey, this is a piece of software that's going to introduce all these new features. Right. They feel personally responsible if it's like, well, I really don't want to let it leak because they trust me enough to bring me on. I've been a part of this ecosystem. So that's another way to tackle it. Right. And we've been talking about community you know, throughout this whole episode, mm-hmm. I think building that strong community and having that cohort of really trusted and invested testers is a great way to say, okay, we can let up a little bit on the anxiety of like, oh, someone's going to leak the feature. We have this amazing group of people who are right here working alongside us to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's completely true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. We're coming up on time a little bit. Um, this that. has been very interesting. We talked about diversity. We talked about AI and uh, yeah. God, so many different things here. Lots of lessons learned. Um, but Pete and Chris just wanted to pose one last question to you. And we'll start with Pete. Um, what's some of the advice that you have to maybe new product managers out there who are getting into testing for the first time? What would you tell them as they kind of start their journey into validating and talking to their customers and getting to know them? All right. This is sort of a cop-out answer, honestly. This is not a plug. This is not a, a shameless plug. <laughs> but really, I would I would check out Center Code, the first thing I would do, because it did for me as a guy who was already underwater with the amount of work I had on me as the only real, you know, the, the one product manager who was, who was doing this, uh, managing the entire product and multiple uh, operating systems. And when did I have bandwidth to do any of this? And and that was, you know, setup was, for back then, this was many, many years ago now, but setup was probably two weeks, three weeks, you know, a couple of phone calls to sort of feel it out. And then I started getting people on. And once people were on, it really wasn't so bad to just, uh, you know, sort of set up the mechanisms and then repeat. And that was really easy. So that, that making it easy on yourself would be my advice. My way of doing that was, was certainly center code. And I, I think it always will be. Um, but can you set yourself up for something repeatable that is just, it doesn't require so much manual intervention on your part? I can read some posts and forums and I can, I can download some data. Uh, that's not hard. So those things really mattered to me because I could do them quickly. Uh, and I just didn't have time for anything else. And I'm sure that if you aren't already doing customer validation, your company is probably giving you resource zero in order to accomplish any of this. You're probably just going to mm-hmm. wing it on your own, which is exactly the position we were in, which was fine. Totally understandable, but that's, yeah, that, that's the way to start is make it easy on yourself. Otherwise, you just won't do it. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, easy, repeatable, you know, have that structure in place. Uh-huh. Um, Chris, 
Are you also going to say center code? I mean, you are the head of marketing, so you have every right to say <laughs> you'll get center code. Sorry. Yeah. No, <laughs> no you're, no, you're it's good. A, it's a good, I wouldn't even say it's like a, a hot take, right? It's you get to know your, yeah. your audience. Our last guest, Paul Chen from Mattel, he was telling me a story about the first time he came into product management at, um, I think it was at Cisco. Actually, no, it was Microsoft. It was Microsoft. And the, mm -hmm. the first task that he had when he came on board was to get into support. He needed to get on like 500 calls. So mm. he had to sit there on the phone with all these users and hear the uh, the complaints and the what's working, what's not kind of thing and walk people through all this stuff. And he's a technical guy, so he has the background. But just hearing that and it just puts you into a new perspective, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know. So I think Pete's answer is, is really that is establish something that you can use that's like your google search your chat gpt but for yeah. your users so you need to have that like I, yeah what are they doing what are you doing today what what, what problems uh -huh. you run into what what's working what's not that's a i think it's a good take um, yeah a scalable solution that you can make yourself uh otherwise man it's, it's just too hard to keep up with small tasks that have to be manually repeated yep mm, absolutely well pete Fantastic having you on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Maybe in the future we'll do a round two when all of this AI stuff is played out and we'll probably have so many more takeaways to to bring to beta testing and validation and all that. We'll actually probably bring another guest on to do that, ChatGPT. Uh, we'll sit here and yeah. talk there with us. And... <laughs> yeah, that's at? true. <laughs> yeah. We'll integrate him into Ted with Center Code. We'll just talk to Ted. There yeah. we go. That's right. But yeah. All right. Fantastic Thank having you guys. On. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Delta Huddle podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a like or a five-star rating. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'll see you in the next episode, and happy testing.